I'm Kate Young, and you're listening to This is Purdue, the official podcast for Purdue University. As a Purdue alum and Indiana native, I know firsthand about the family of students and professors who are in it together, persistently pursuing and relentlessly rethinking. Who are the next game changers, difference makers, ceiling breakers, innovators? Who are these boilermakers? Join me as we feature students, faculty, and alumni taking small steps toward their giant leaps and inspiring others to do the same. Appreciate the our days at Purdue, the people that are here that make it a real place, the opportunities that we were given because of those people. And if you put the work in, express the desire to learn, it's the place to be. And it was for us. And it always mean a lot to us. Our This is Purdue podcast was created to tell Boilermaker stories. And honestly, one of my favorite stories to hear are the stories of how two significant others met each other. In this episode, we're talking to two Purdue couples who have been married for decades. Their stories started at Purdue, and these couples are still incredibly ingrained in Purdue's culture. And they invest so much of their time and energy into the university, more than 50 years later. Randy and Linda Shields and Norman and Karen Blake are both part of the Purdue for Life President's Council. We got a chance to sit down with these two special couples in Naples, Florida during President's Council weekend. We'll start with Randy and Linda Shields, the co-chairs of the President's Council. Randy and Linda are kind, humble, and genuine, so it's no surprise they're a perfect match for each other. I asked the couple what their first impressions of Purdue were. My earliest memory was the day I checked in to Purdue University as a freshman, and I was a very homesick little girl. And I probably, if I was a puppy, I would have followed the car home. <laughs> I was so homesick. But Purdue does such an excellent job, and then did, of matching me as roommates. And so my freshman roommate was a girl who was also studying pre-pharmacy, and she was from a small town also, and her name was Linda. So we were just perfectly matched. <laughs> it was a great experience. I had a floor on my in my dorm that the girls across the hall were older. And so they just took us under their wing. And it was the best experience. What Pretty about you? My first as a freshman was getting on campus and realizing how large Purdue was. Mm-hmm. At that time, the Dean of Student Services had uh, programs, which is today is the Boiler Gold Rush. But we were all attending that as freshmen, wide-eyed and possibly uh, nervous and anxious about uh, the experiences that lie ahead. And so we attended various meetings. At one of the meetings, the Glee Clone comes out and starts singing songs, and it's just wonderful. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's great too. Mm-hmm. Produced so wonderful. And then a future teammate of mine is coming out to sing a solo, and it hit me oh my gosh, I'm now at a Big Ten University. I'm a freshman. I've got to compete with guys like this and the guy can even sing. (laughs) What chance do I have on this campus of even making it here? So I did go home depressed, but I'm proud to say that uh, I got to be very good friends with my teammates and this older classman. He eventually became our best man. Oh, at your wedding. And we're very close. He still lives in Lafayette. We see each other often, do a lot of things together while we can. A lot of things to couples, and uh, his name is Bob Ford. He was a Big Ten and All American, and uh, 
played in the uh, American Basketball Association before they joined with the, with the NBA. So there Linda and Randy were, both at Purdue, both majoring in pharmacy. And Randy was also involved in athletics. He was a national recruit for Purdue's basketball team. I was very honored that uh, as a national recruit, uh, Purdue came knocking. Uh, Purdue finished second in the nation behind UCLA when I was in high school. And I was recruited by the other two teams that were in the final four. And so, uh, as I said, when Purdue came knocking and I attended uh, the university uh, as a recruit, uh, seeing Mackey Arena and a number of other things, that certainly locked in the deal. The other situation that occurred on the day I was recruited, I had played basketball in a summer camp with a fellow from Indianapolis. And he was also coincidentally recruited on that same day in Coach Bob King's office. And Coach Bob is a legend in high school and college basketball. So when we ran into each other, we knew right away and we signed and told Purdue that day that we were going to be teammates. And again, we are friends for life. I talk to him monthly. We get together also with our families. And his name is Frank Kendrick. He was one of the stars of our team. And he went out also and played in the National Basketball League. Tell us about your experience playing basketball at Purdue. That's, you know, you're managing all these different things, academics, pharmacy, basketball on top of that. I uh, had an opportunity, as I said, to play on a great team. And uh, while I had a number of injuries that kept me out of uh, the starting lineup, I always tried to contribute any way I could. And we had a number of great Indiana basketball players, of course, coming from the legendary Hoosier hysteria state. And it was a real pleasure to work with all of them. As I said, we're all friends to this day. And we had such a great run that we did win the 1974 NIT tournament. And in those days, there were only 32 teams that went to the NCAA. So a couple of years later, IT was folded into the NCAA. But we ended up ranking ninth in one poll, I think, and 11th in another at the end of the season. So it was a really great way to kind of end my basketball career. Yeah. Championship team. So how did Randy and Linda, who have been married for 45 years now, meet? Okay, so you have to walk us through the story of how you two met. One of my fraternity brothers and I, that was in school of pharmacy, had a, one of our favorite professors uh, take us into the new computer lab. Okay. And everybody would laugh because it was monochrome green screens. <laughs> and it was tied into the supercomputer, I think, in Illinois. Right. And there were pharmacy lessons to do on that. And the sophomores, I think at that time, I was was a senior, I remember was a sophomore. She happened to be one of the students that was in the lab. And I paid more attention to her than I did the professor (laughs) describing the computer. So on my way out, I checked on the board there what her name was. And then uh, when I got to see her in the hallways, I would say, hello, Linda, hi, how are you? And I think... The rest of the story. Uh, yes, and I had no idea who was standing behind <laughs> me watching me because it was organic chemistry, I believe, and it was hard, and I was very concentrated. Mm-hmm. So I did not notice that somebody was noticing me. But uh, <laughs> because pharmacy is very small school, we pass each other in the halls, the different classes, and this tall guy would say hello and my name. So I had no idea who that was, but days later, weeks later, I happened to be going to school early for to study before a test, and he was coming out, and we had a moment that neither one of us had anything else that we had to be doing, and so he then introduced himself and asked if I'd like to go get an ice cream, so I did go, <laughs> and um, we did not, I did not study for the test, 
like I should have right then. But we took me to Fort Park and we sat on the bridge, the little bridge, and had an ice cream together and that. And we've been together since. So that was our beginning. <laughs> That's the first love story that we've heard on This Is Purdue. I love it. <laughs> so there you have it. Our first love story on this podcast. But in all seriousness, Randy and Linda's love story may have started at Purdue, but their ties and connections to this university continue to this very day. You both graduated from Purdue. You had super successful careers and a wonderful life after Purdue. How did Purdue serve as a catalyst to kind of kickstart your life after graduation? I think Purdue gives you the opportunity to learn how to learn. We don't have all the answers, and we certainly did not as students, but we learned how to find them. It taught us how to work with others. Terribly important. Mm -hmm. It taught us that everyone wasn't like us and that there's so much to learn from others in that way. Mm -hmm. I think Purdue does an excellent job of that to this day, probably even better because they're more cognizant of it now than we were then. I think that's what helped us, me. Yes, yeah, no, and just to add to Linda's comments, it taught you basic problem solving and how to think on your own. And, you know, it's okay to fail and you're going to fail. I mean, it's hard to get into Purdue and it's even harder today. We may not have gotten in, I don't know. But <laughs> the, the point is it teaches you so many valuable life lessons. And um, the idea of competing in today's world, I think is it, it is competitive. And you have to rely on all the skills that you get to start your career, but then you have to have the skills that you were starting to develop at Purdue to really become a better worker, a better person, a better employee or employer. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it's a lifelong learning and Purdue continues to offer that. You guys had an interesting career path. You served as a pharmacist, you worked at Eli Lilly, and then you two decided to open up McDonald's franchises in the Indianapolis area. That's an interesting path. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what went into that decision to start that? Basically, I think uh, as you get older, you develop different skills. And fortunately, I had a wonderful career at Lilly and great bosses and lots of opportunity. And it allowed me to really hone in on business skills and working with people. And I enjoyed many of my jobs there. And we had some issues with some family members' health and uh, we were moving all around a lot. And the opportunity came for us to maybe make that change. Mm -hmm. Many people make these changes around 38 to 42 years old. And we I mm -hmm. were in that category. So we talked about a lot of things. And having had some uh, business experience at Lilly and looking at businesses and companies, I started looking around at some businesses and companies to see if we could move back and, again, help some of our relatives and other things. And uh, McDonald's kept popping up. And I, I was looking at other businesses, but this one just kept popping up. And it was a very community-oriented business. And it could be one that I could even pass on to my children. Mm -hmm. We had the opportunity to come back to Indianapolis after I spoke to these people. And so it seemed like, well, this would be a great fit because we've got a lot of friends there. Mm -hmm. We can keep some of our old friendships. And we're even closer to Purdue. Yeah, more and tailgates. We, we, yeah, <laughs> and we can get back up there and see our old friends as well and enjoy that. And hey, maybe we'll get a couple kids to go to Purdue, you know. So that just all kind of, I know, it seemed to fall into place at that time in our life after a lot of discussion. And hadn't you done a 
paper on it on McDonald's in school. Ironically, yes. Dr. So Craner did my master's degree for strategic management. Yeah. I did do a paper on McDonald's comparing it to other fast food franchises. Interesting. And, um, got an A plus on the paper from Dr. Arnold Cooper. <laughs> wow. And I still have it. And um, it's pretty true to what I'd written back then. And so I guess that's why I was always kind of thinking about them in the back of my mind. So no matter where I traveled with Lily, I might stop in to McDonald's and have a McMuffin and a <laughs> cup of coffee. Sure. And so it just seemed to be a very compatible franchise with what I thought I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And yet get back to Indianapolis, dig into the community. And it allowed Linda also the opportunity to help uh, in the community with the new zoo. Yeah. The new zoo, which is now 30 years old, probably. But at the time, the zoo was moving from okay. one location to River Park. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I got to be involved in that. And I read that you started or helped start the big Zubilation event. Yes. That's a, an event in Indy. That is a huge. <laughs> it wasn't called that then. And the zoo itself took it over. But it was started by a group that I was with. Amazing. And you're both so involved in the community, both, you know, with Purdue, obviously, but also in Indianapolis. What does it mean to you guys to give back? And why are you so passionate about that? Well, I think we live by that, the way we were brought up, that our Christian values, that um, you should pay it forward. You should give back. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's just a part of who we are. And we'd like to think our children will be and our grandchildren as well. But, you know, many people, uh, again, going back to Purdue, have that same giving feeling. And I think, yeah, it starts with traditional values and that was supported at Purdue. And as we grew older, we found the fun in giving back, mm-hmm. even anonymously or, or openly, but it does great things, I think, for the soul, as well as for the people you're helping. And speaking of paying it forward, as I mentioned earlier, Randy and Linda are co-chairs for President's Council, which has set the standard for private giving at Purdue since 1972. You become a President's Council family member by virtue of your loyalty and leadership gifts of at least $1,000 each year. These gifts can support whatever your personal Purdue passions may be. Together, the President's Council family represents a tradition of support that ensures Purdue's ongoing excellence. The generosity allows the university to deliver higher education at the highest proven value by creating new scholarships, increasing faculty support, funding cutting-edge facilities and innovative programs, and keeping a Purdue education affordable. I ask the Shields why it's so important to them to remain involved in this tight-knit Purdue community and lead the President's Council, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. It's an important concept. started 50 years ago, and it's giving to help scholarship students, for giving scholarships to students, helping faculty. We get to travel together as a family of Purdue people, which is really wonderful. We just think that the President's Council, you can join at a $1,000 level and continue on. It's just a vast group of people starting 50 years ago with 70 people giving, and now we're up to 19,000 people in President's Council. It's a great opportunity to meet a lot of people who care a lot about Purdue Mm -hmm. and have a giving heart. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think uh, we were here when President Art Hansen was here with his wife, Nancy, a delightful couple. And Purdue's been so blessed with 
all the presidents we've had here because they're student involved. And President Mitch Daniels today is, is that same person that takes the time to really try to talk to students, understand students, but then has great visions about the future and the strategy that we should all, and the vision that we should be seeing uh, for us as a, one of the top institutions in the country. And as we know, that's what other people say about us. We don't have to say it ourselves. It's true. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Hansen started that here, President Hansen. And as we're saying, this is our 50 years where we celebrate all those people that came before us, all the things they've done. And as Linda said, from supporting professors' programs, initiatives on campus, new buildings, that adds to what the university needs. And again, I think it's so nice to get the alumni to help the very place that we all started and to give back and to see that happening in the 20-year plan and the Purdue for Life is so rewarding and exciting for us as alumni. And do you guys have a favorite story or memory as you've served as co-chairs the past couple of years? Well, I love to travel and we have had some amazing trips. We're just missed out on South Africa was supposed to be this January, but we're rescheduled and we will go. We have Egypt coming up and we have France coming up and Charleston, South Carolina. And the people you meet all have the same love of their university. So you have that in common, no matter if you are of different ages or never had met them before. Traveling with people is a really lovely way to get to share my favorite memories are the travel. And, you know, we served now during the COVID year, which was a different kind of year, but we were able to still stay in touch through Zoom, Mm -hmm. but not see faces. So we're so happy to be celebrating outwardly Mm -hmm. the 50th. And we're here in Naples, as you know now, and these are great annual events where uh, we get four or 500 of the Purdue faithful to come in Mm -hmm. and celebrate with the President Daniels and the board trustees. And again, it's a reunion. It's the family getting back together. And then we offer the back to class both here and in West Lafayette in October. And we get a lot of people come back so we can keep the learning, that lifetime <laughs> learning uh, that we uh, started at Purdue. And so those are great opportunities, again, for us to get together. And as long as said, pre-game tailgate parties, mm-hmm. Purdue-sponsored events, the three-minute thesis we just had uh, Dr. Feinberg come in, uh, The Value of a Life that Mitch moderated. You know, all these things are available uh, to President's Council members and the public. But it's, again, the opportunity to see your university through different eyes and different events. I'm sure by now you can get a sense of how important community and family are to the Shields. I asked them more about their three kids and eight grandchildren. And spoiler alert, The couple is hoping that all eight of the grandkids go to Purdue one day. So we've talked a little bit about your family. You you said two of the three kids went to Purdue. And what did that mean to you when, you know, they kind of followed in your footsteps? And do you think they they felt they had to follow in your footsteps? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously not the one who did not come to Purdue. I don't know that they felt they had to, but I think that it was such a... They knew our feeling about it. Sure. Uh, so I think it was a fairly easy decision for them. And we were blessed with two son-in-laws that are Purdue students, were Purdue students. But 
they one met here, met at Purdue, and the other one brought him from high school with her. Okay. So uh, we were blessed to have them too as Purdue graduates. And then we have eight grandchildren, and uh, we're hoping that all eight attend Purdue. <laughs> we're pushing for that. That's amazing. So when you think about Purdue and the role that it's played in both of your lives, and that's how you two met, and you have children and grandchildren and kind of set this whole trajectory. What does it mean to you, this Boilermaker spirit and this community? It's a family. We say that over and over, don't we? And we are so living the Purdue for life. We met here and had our first little date there on the bridge at Fort Park. And we have our building a home in Providence so steps away from Port Park. Literally across the street. <laughs> steps away, yeah. <laughs> so we, have, and we hope to in at Purdue and keep learning. I mean, that's the Purdue Lafayette campus has always been something that we thought we might want to come back to because you can continue learning mm-hmm. and we can probably somehow get ourselves to every game we can possibly get to. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we are living that Purdue for life. We believe in that, and uh, I know they're building a uh, retirement home nearby and a hospital, so we may just, you know, <laughs> just take a few more steps to that eventually <laughs> after we get into this home. That's so. right. Matt Falk, the vice president for development, has just announced some of that. Yeah. And again, that's out by the Purdue Service Center as well, not too far from where we met. <laughs> all these things will be open markets, uh, brewery, uh, perhaps uh, in Squirrel Park. But again, it's the whole picture, the whole scene that that really is the circle of life. And we hope to enjoy that and all the educational partnerships in our golden years. And uh, someday, I'm sure she might even be wheeling me down the block uh, to the retirement center (laughs) and saying, I'll come back and visit you tomorrow. But I'm still in the house over there and uh, everything. But uh, no, I think, you know, that's kind of exciting because of the fun we had at Purdue, the memories we had there. It's just kind of making sense for us at this time in our life to eventually get back up to Purdue and see what's the next phase of life. You lived all over the country. You moved a lot. What made you proud to be a Boilermaker, even if you weren't living in Indiana? I think the university has a great story, and people are not aware of where it is if you're out of Indiana. It seems like they all think it's uh, a very high-rated private school. Mm-hmm. And so it has a great reputation and we enjoyed that. We lived on both coasts and uh, we were always proud to say that we were from Purdue and people were kind of uh, interested in where is that mm-hmm. and what is that? Mm-hmm. So we got to tell that story. Yeah, I always laugh because up in Wisconsin, they thought, is Purdue a private school? You know, when I was first coming down here. And of course, it always kind of has a reputation and because of who it is and the reputation it had uh, throughout the country. When people learn it's a public university, they're very amazed, again, because of what we've done here as a university publicly. So I think it is something that you take in your heart. You're you're proud to be that person, that pride, the respect, and the love for your alma mater. It's the place to be, and it was for us. And it will always mean a lot to us. And we're just two of many stories, just like this that we're representing today that there are so many love stories that come out of Purdue so many couples and so many friends to be made 
Freedom University. And we're very honored for this interview, and we hope we've passed on what so many other couples and people feel about Purdue as well. Just one of many. These two could not be prouder or have more respect for their alma mater, that's for sure. Our next couple is Norman and Karen Blake. These two have been married for 56 years, and when I say I've never witnessed a sweeter, more adoring couple, I truly mean that. The Blakes both graduated from Purdue in the 1960s and are also members of President's Council. Norm has served as a chairman, president, and CEO of several Fortune 500 companies. He was born in New York and even lived overseas for a bit growing up. So what drew him to Purdue? What brought you to Purdue? How did you find out about Purdue? Well, I spent about uh, seven years of my youth in Europe and the Middle East. And just characteristically, I never spent more than two years in any one school until I came to Purdue. And so when I arrived at Purdue a day on campus, I absolutely fell in love with the place and its people. I wanted to start off in majoring in engineering, but uh, given my background in math and science, I thought that's what I wanted to be. But uh, my first two years at Purdue were an abject failure academically, and I barely got through school. And it's sort of a lesson that says to, if you ask for a prospective student coming into Purdue, understand that uh, college is a learning experience, and it's just the beginning of your life learning experience. And for me, changing majors, struggling, and then ultimately deciding my interest. I met my beautiful and wonderful wife at Purdue, and then ultimately I was able to better understand myself, my strengths, my abilities. Ultimately succeeded academically, went into graduate school at Purdue with a double major for a master's and then went to law school. So late bloomer, so to speak, uh, but part of the learning process of failing and getting up the mat. Characteristically, my father always told me that um, life is a 15-round fight, which means you must have that persistence and willingness to try to strive and achieve in life. And if you were to ask me what my perception of Purdue and its culture, I give sort of these sort of adjectives, serious, conservative, modest, hardworking, striving, persistent. And so that sort of uh, giving up was never an option to me. You had this wonderful time at Purdue and you had some challenges that you overcame. And then you get into the real world after graduation. You had a wonderful career. You've served as CEO of multiple companies. How did Purdue prepare you for all of that and everything in your career? Well, uh, it was a fight against Sam sort of experience. When I went into business, I was very fortunate to enter GE on a sort of fast-track management development program. And I went through a series of management assignments and and ultimately uh, became involved in strategic planning, which really required me to develop skills. Actually, I didn't really acquire Purdue, but I did have the determination to strive to learn and to be better. And thus picking up finance and accounting is, and the companies I ran were financial institutions. So I, in that sense, I think the experience I had at, initially at Purdue prepared me to move forward in business. And then of course, uh, my mentor was a great friend and a great leader in business, Jack Welsh. And I was his strategic planner and then moved on from there in terms of the ultimately running the operations for GE Credit or GE Cap at the time. And then from that point, what really struck me was I began turning around companies. And so each of the several Fortune 500 companies that they brought brought me in, it was a feeling business. It was a turnaround situation and it required 
a little bit of Purdue spirit of never getting up and uh, acquiring a sense of vision and uh, strategic direction for the business, developing a culture, and having individuals in the company realize that their dreams could be realized by the success of their endeavors in that particular company. So it's a sort of never give up attitude, I would say, that I've started to learn as my experience at Purdue and which gives characteristic of quote unquote sporter makers. And uh, that uh, probably leads to one of your questions, and that is, uh, you know, why my wife, Karen, and I are giving to Purdue is that we want to perpetuate the culture of Purdue and what it meant to me in terms of learning never to give up and always striving to achieve in life. And that by funding the Craft School, the Liberal Arts School, and Purdue Athletics and so forth is a way of being able to give back and to hopefully brought that uh, Purdue could play as being instrumental in the lives of the individual students. Is there a certain lesson in leadership that really strikes you that you've learned throughout your career? Well, that's a great question. I think there's several takeaways. One is I think every successful enterprise or organization has its own unique culture. And a leader of that company must be able to walk the talk, to essentially be credible in terms of the value system of that organization and be able to promote its values and for the individuals involved in the company to a sense of being a part of something great. And people like to aspire beyond themselves to achieve something. And so part of the lesson is to be able to relate to people, convey a sense of values and purpose in terms of what they're about. I also have, in my particular case, my my strength probably was in terms of strategy and vision. That's, I was, you know, Jack Welch's strategic planner when I was over at GE. And so the combination of molding the culture of an organization to augment and enforce the strategy and future vision of the business. And then to make sure that you as a leader of that business is accountable to the people. It's the people are the most important resource of any organization and should not view themselves any better than the guy downstairs or the guy downstairs, but ultimately that they were all part of one organization trying to achieve something. So we have a clear accountability to the people in the organization in terms of their welfare and for them to be able to start, aspire to learning to leading in their careers and accomplishing something. And as Norm mentioned, he met his wife, Karen, at Purdue. Karen graduated with a bachelor's degree in elementary education in 1965. Norm tells us the story of how he met Karen, and it all started with a nice Sunday brunch. Okay, so you mentioned your wife previously. I have to ask how you guys met at Purdue. Was it in class or at the dorms? What, what's your story? Uh, boy, it's a kind of an embarrassing story. <laughs> uh, I was at a fraternity, Sigma Epsilon, and uh, I was an officer of the fraternity. And uh, we had a practice or a tradition back then that on Sunday we'd have brunches and the officers of the uh, fraternity could invite their dates for brunch at Purdue. And uh, the president of fraternity uh, invited this Karen Sue Quarma, last name now Blake, <laughs> and as the guest, his guest for that brunch. And I didn't have a date, but I kind of figured a way of getting to the head table there. And the minute I met her, I decided I was going to marry her right then and there. Of course, I had to go up and tell him that uh, I didn't want to do this behind his back, that we had an issue, that we should settle it right now because I'm going to start dating Karen. But she was not all that receptive to my advances, I might say. <laughs> and it took a very extenuated, persistent pursuit on my part to ultimately get to marry this wonderful girl. Oh, that's 
special. That's out of a movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Okay, so Norm swoops right in there, but hey, it really worked out for them. Norm spoke so highly about both he and his wife's connections to Purdue. I asked why they choose to stay involved after so many years. Well, we both love Purdue. Right, in fact, we have three of our grandchildren at Purdue right now, and a fourth on the on the verge of going to Purdue next year. And so it's uh, Purdue's like an extension of our family at this point. So we, <laughs> but, but really, we want to make a difference, and uh, we think that the education at Purdue is a positive experience and a positive learning experience for the students who go to Purdue. And we want to make sure we augment that effort for them to be as, our school to be the best it can be in serving the interests of its students. It's always meant so much to us. We traveled and we uh, moved many, many times. And it was like every time we'd come back to Purdue for football games and everything, it was like coming home. It was like we dropped all these years and we went back to feeling kind of like we were in college again. It was such a wonderful feeling. So when we actually moved so we could be that close to Purdue, it was really a gift. What was it like having your kids and now your grandkids carry on this legacy at Purdue? Well, it's just such a blessing. (laughs) I mean, really, people can't believe it. They'll say to us, what do you mean all your grandchildren are now going to Purdue? And we haven't really twisted their arms or (laughs) (laughs) there's been no monetary attachment to it or anything saying you have to go to Purdue. But they grew up because they've been growing up in the Indianapolis area. Mm -hmm. So they would go to games and they would see how much we loved it and how much their parents loved it. And they didn't really want to look at other campuses. We forced them to kind of go and make sure they saw other places. But so far, they have opted for Purdue and we've been so, so thankful. And what about President's Council and the Purdue relationships they continue to foster? Well, I mean, they're very special relationships. I mean, you could not see these people for, you know, maybe a year or so, but every time you see them, it's such a commonality. It's knowing that they've had the same experience that we have had, or maybe a little different, but they've had the same university. They love the same university. You know, you come together around the sports and around all of those things. And uh, it's just like, close friends. They've continued to be close friends. And I continue to be close to my sorority sisters. We still do things together and have reunions. And yeah, it's been great. Okay. So we heard Norm's side of the couple's love story, but now it's time for Karen to share her side. And spoiler alert, it actually involves someone jumping out of the bushes on campus. I'll let Karen explain though. So your husband told us the story of how you met, but I want to hear it from you. I want to hear your side. (laughs) Okay. So my side, uh, well, it is true that we had met, I don't know if you told him this, but we had met two times prior to that brunch. Yeah, right. And one of the times prior to the brunch, my pledge class came over to his house. Did you tell them that? No. And he was a year older. And so we were dancing in the downstairs area and he came through and he cut in on who I was dancing with. (laughs) And we had one dance, which he says, I went in circles and circles and circles. (laughs) And um, he walked out and that was it. So I guess it was the next year that I was sitting at brunch next to him, but also next to my date. And (laughs) 
and our conversation just took over. And from there, he was very persistent. He probably told you about jumping out of the bushes and... No. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, you didn't tell. No, okay. I didn't tell that. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> well here, I'll give this little part. <laughs> After this talking to the third date at the brunch, and I went up and said, I've decided to date her, and we have an issue with it. Let's take care of it. But that was an, a bold initiative on my part. But then I didn't know how to get a hold of her. And I didn't really want to call her on the phone. I didn't know how to handle it from there. But uh, I was short. I was running late to a physics class. She was walking down, and I'm going to physics class. And I said, wow. And so I walked right by. I didn't say anything. I was too, a little bit nervous. And then I said that. But I knew when she was doing it. So I cut the next physics, the physics class to meet her. And, and I walked by, and uh, I still couldn't bring myself to Say anything. So the third time, so I'm going to flunk out of physics class if this continues. So I decided I'd, I'd hide. I was hiding behind a hedge because <laughs> I was waiting for her to come down. And I was getting all my courage to step forward and ask her out for a date. And so I jumped out of the bushes, scared the Jesus out of her. <laughs> and then I tried to move right into a conversation about how about a date. And anyway. she consecutively <laughs> turned me down. You know, one weekend after another weekend after another weekend. Uh, the story goes on. Yeah, but but uh, it, it took a while. But it was good. It's because you jumped out of the bushes and scared her. Wow. Talk about a persistent pursuit. That was such a fun story for our team to hear. From the Purdue for Life President's Council community to watching Purdue Athletics, this couple is all in on their alma mater. I will tell you that when I was at Purdue, I was a... I was the head of the Purdue Pep Club back then, which incorporated the cheerleaders, the band, and uh, Purdue Pete. So, oh. I, so that was kind of my blood way back when. But uh, I'm always there in the football games, at least an hour before game time, so I can watch the teams warm up. And you know, I got really into it. And then I'm going to be absolutely preoccupied with the game. So you wouldn't want to know me during the game because I'm just totally focused on the game, totally antisocial. So you're not uh, talking to your wife. You're not talking no, to No, I just zoned in on the game <laughs> and hoping that we win. So he told us that when he's watching Purdue sports, he's he's all in. He's all in. So you just stay away from it. You don't talk to him. Oh, well, no, I'm all in, too. <laughs> in fact, I'm probably yelling so loud. I mean, we're very, we're dialed in. In football, yes. He's in the corner. And no one talks to him. And it's embarrassing. So people come in and they're trying to be very social and everything. And and so I can't be as dialed in because I have to catch them before they get to him and make sure that, (laughs) you know, I talk to them and I kind of say, well, he's kind of preoccupied with this game right now. But right. (laughs) (laughs) The Boilermaker spirit, I think, is unusual. I mean, they're every... College has their spirit, that's for sure. But I think the Boilermaker spirit is, no matter what happens, it's not necessarily that we're the top team or anything else, but whatever happens, Boilermakers are there for their school and for their teams and everything, I think, kind of through thick and thin. That's exactly right. I mean, Uh we're not going to decide not to support... When I was a CEO of one of the companies, I was privileged to uh, have a corporate jet. 
And so what I would do is I, and I didn't want to take advantage of anything. So I'd always have a nearby business meeting and reason to be there, which was legitimate. But it had to be in a close proximity to wherever the game was being held. (laughs) (laughs) So it could be close to Lansing, it could be close to Ann Arbor, (laughs) it could be in Chicago. Uh, But uh, for literally, uh, I don't know, 12 consecutive games, we hadn't won a game. I still went to every one of the games. We hadn't missed a game. I remember I was back when, I don't know, maybe Mm -hmm. 10 years ago or so. We had almost a year and a half without a win. And uh, uh, not a year and a half, but no, it's 10 years ago or so. But anyhow. No, 20 to 30 years ago. 20 to 30 years ago. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> but anyhow, I, I went and lost record. No, yeah. I'm a bullet maker. I'm there to support my team. It's there to support the school I love. That's that simple. So. And he's quite a salesman. So every year he would sit down in the stands and he'd turn around to everyone and say, this is the year. <laughs> this is the year. And everybody go, okay, okay. <laughs> and then we'd have a losing season. But it didn't dawn him the next year he'd be right there. I have a feeling this is the year. <laughs> And maybe, and maybe this year will be the year. Yes. I mean, this season was great. And we went to the the Music City. Oh, it is. Oh, it was. Yeah, we were very happy. And we all know every year is a great year to be a Boilermaker. But this year, well, it's been an extra special year to be a Boilermaker with all of the athletic success that we've achieved. I ask what Purdue meant to them as a couple and what it continues to mean to their family. Well, I think now that there's so many different generations involved, it means even all the more, really. Yeah. It's so much fun to talk to them and and have the grands tell us about, you know, different classes and walking here and, you know, even the weather situation. Yeah. And it takes us back to, oh, my goodness, and, walking and, and, across and campus. And unlike me, kind of when I struggled initially getting into Purdue academically, every one of our grandchildren are outstanding students. Yeah, yeah. They all have four-point GPAs. One's a junior, one's a sophomore, and one's a freshman. Wow. Yeah. So they're thriving at Purdue. So they're thriving, <laughs> and they love it. And so that's great. Well, it's now become the epicenter of our family activities right now <laughs> yeah. with our grandchildren and our children. I have to say it just uh, embodies a sense of spirit about life and always being persistent in the pursuit of being the best you can be. So I think that just... Generally speaking, it's a permanent part of my makeup as a person. It's very important, and I, I love the school and what it means to me. What makes Purdue unique in your eyes? Well, it's really the never-give-up attitude, the sense of modesty, hardworking people, not arrogant, striving to achieve, want to be, make something of themselves. It's that sort of feel and attitude that I think is so important. It's and it's a, a real sense of family, in a sense, of, uh, of really wanting to accomplish things together, but also not thinking too highly of yourselves, but more importantly, what you want to accomplish as a person. And as a result, I think my Purdue experience taught me that. It was such a pleasure talking to this couple. They really love Purdue. And hearing how much their grandkids love it, too, was so special. I followed up with Norm a few weeks after this interview to clarify a few details for this episode. And I have to share what he said. Kate, the best thing to ever happen to me was marrying my beautiful, loving, and caring wife. I mean, how could you not love this delightful couple? It's hard not to admire both of these wonderful couples and how they cherish their time at Purdue 
and continue to give back to this Boilermaker community. You can check out our full video interviews with these Boilermaker couples on YouTube. Just head over to youtube.com slash Purdue. And if you'd like to learn more about President's Council, head over to purdueforlife.org backslash presidents council. Thanks for listening to This is Purdue. For more information on this episode, visit our website at purdue.edu slash podcast. There you can head over to your favorite podcast app to subscribe and leave us a review. And as always, boiler up. <laughs>